here. But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> so here's a great prank, okay? The pilots on your flight fall asleep, all right? And you go and turn off the autopilot while they're sleeping. Yay, fun games ensue. Isn't that hilarious, huh? Yeah. That's apparently not quite the way it worked, the way it happened. But, uh, Jeb, I think you called our attention to the story. What what the heck? um, This was uh, um, an Air India flight. Um, Doesn't say when this occurred. April 12, apparently. Uh, On Airbus 321, uh, Air India flight uh, AI-133, cruising at 33,000 feet. uh, from Bangkok to uh, Delhi, um, took off on schedule, and once they get to cruising altitude, first officer, hey, I got you know hit the head, and and um, um, you know let me um, leave the cockpit. So apparently, standard procedure for Air India to uh, put a flight attendant uh, in the cockpit um, just in case you know something happens to the pilot when the FOs uh, in the um, in the lavatory. So. That happens, and so they're cruising along, cruising along, and um, then the captain decided that um, um, another flight attendant would be appropriate to be sitting in his seat. Just, it's just hard to imagine what yeah. the thinking process was right. here. Right. Where, where, where's that dog when you need it? That's <laughs> right. That's right. And uh, so the captain calls another flight attendant and uh, um, didn't. Um, Leave the cockpit immediately. He spent a few minutes telling two flight attendants how to operate things and what not to do. I presume what to do, what not to do. Left a few things out, obviously. And then according to the story, he left the cockpit after putting the plane on autopilot, leaving the flight attendants to operate the flight by themselves for the next 40 minutes. Yeah. While he and his co-pilot took a nap in business class. Yeah. Now, well, the seats in business class are usually more comfortable than the cockpit seats. That's Stop true. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, what what could go wrong? Yeah, I know. What, this... what could possibly go wrong? Um, so, what did go wrong? So, one of the FOs decided that it was a good idea to take the airplane off autopilot. Yeah, one of the FAs actually. <laughs> one of the flight attendants. Well, one of the now new Neo pilots. Yes, yeah, so you're right. Yeah, back pilot. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And um, and so then um, what happened? So. I'll read again from the story. Um, this was illustrated. Uh, captain, the captain and first officer were forced to rush back to their seats after one of the flight attendants accidentally switched off the autopilot, endangering the lives of everyone on board, so, so to speak, on, on the story. That's right, I, because it was the flight attendant who was endangering everyone's exactly, lives, exactly, right? Yeah. Right. Now, I, I want to know what happened after the autopilot switched off. Are we talking barrel rolls? I, yeah, are, are we talking? You know, um, um, uh, uh, pilot-induced oscillation, for lack of a better word. Um, apparently, the, the the senior flight attendant, a senior cabin crew member, witnessed the entire drama unfold and brought the matter to the notice of the airline's management. Good for you! Yeah. So, uh, all four were were uh, late, suspended for this violation, according to Air India. All four. All four, both FAs and, and both pilots. Okay. Oh, four, yeah, right. Both two FAs. And, but you're saying there was another FA, a, a senior FA, that, that finally put a... Put a right. Well, so, I, so the person who dropped, dropped the, the dime. The person who dropped the dime was not one of the four or That's was... Correct. Okay. That's yeah. correct. Uh, apparently, he or she was feeling disenfranchised. Yeah, I guess. I, I just, there's just so many questions here. My there's gosh. There's just so much going on here. Yeah, you're like, huh? You know, I mean, let's just put aside the bad, the initial bad judgment. All right, uh, it's first of all, the story doesn't say anything that might indicate that one of these FAs might have been a pilot um, of some sort. Doesn't say anything like that whatsoever. Um, now, I think in the history of aviation, this is probably not the first time a flight attendant has has sat down in in one of the other uh, pilot seats. Right. No, I mean that part of it seems yeah. not unreasonable. It's obviously it must be reasonable because it's their procedure, right? Well. I don't know if it's a company procedure. According to the guidelines, it is a standard procedure to yeah. ensure the presence of a second person in the cockpit. Okay. So if the pilot is not able to operate the aircraft for some reason, the other crew member in the cockpit can immediately call for the other pilot. Yeah. I, I think I've seen this on U.S. airlines. So go ahead. 
Uh, I don't. I'm pretty sure. Maybe I was on a Canadian airline for actually for not yeah. mentioning it. It might have been yep. Air Canada. But I, I have a recollection of being on a flight and watching this kind of a transition happen. I was close enough to the front so that I, I saw the pilot coming out. You know, the cabin, uh, the, the cockpit door opens. The pilot, one of the pilots comes out, and one of the flight attendants. <laughs> this sounds awful the way I'm describing it. Um, disappears into the uh, cockpit and they close the door, and and that flight attendant is now uh, absent until. And I guess the uh, yeah, the the pilot was using was using one of the bathrooms, and uh, so uh, I, I'm ninety nine percent sure I really saw that on some airline, and it could have been Air Canada because I've been on them a lot lately. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, that so. part of it, you know, kind of okay. I can imagine that being a reasonable procedure. They mm-hmm. want four hands in the cockpit at all times, you know, and uh, um, even if they're only being directed by one pilot. But uh, but then he decides to you know okay now I'm going to take a break too and you know whatever yeah, you do don't touch the red button yes yeah, right that's right <laughs> uh, uh, I you know in the scheme of where's things, where's the damn dog <laughs> yeah, I know Dave. <laughs> in in the scheme of things um, the captain who then left the cockpit leaving the two FAs in charge. It's, to me, seems to be the guy who who should bear. He, he's oh, the captain to begin yeah. with, of course, but he was the last, you know, rated pilot to leave the cockpit. And uh, yeah, I would put him at the uh, top of the list. The, I put him at the top of the list. The fact too. that the uh, that the first pilot to leave the cock the flight deck stayed away so long, you know, gets certainly gets some some of the uh, responsibility in my view. And uh, I, I'm, I don't know, you got to know exactly what went on, okay? But on one level, you could, make, you could make the interpretation that these two flight attendants were actually responding to an emergency, all right? Which is part of their function, right? You know? So if both of these pilots had had the fish, as our friend Steve Tupper likes to say, I, okay? I, I don't think a Walenda could walk a line that thin. <laughs> yeah, okay. So you, you think the flight attendants take some blame here, too? They weren't merely being, you know, doing what no, they were I told think to they do. they were probably intimidated into doing something that, that they inst- down in their heart of hearts knew was not the smartest thing. Wait a minute. One of us sitting here, okay. But both of you leaving? Yeah. So you're saying that like Lieutenant Callie, they should have said no. Yeah. Yeah. Bobcat Goldthwait is in the delivery room with the birth of his first child. The doctor hands him a pair of scissors and says, you want to cut the umbilical cord? He says, shouldn't somebody more qualified do that? <laughs> Well, I think I think part of the issue here is um, um, how should I put this? Uh, I think there are gender differences involved. Oh, you mean culturally? Yeah, no well, gender. Yeah, I understand that. Okay. But so it, there's on this on this uh, um, site, the story we're reading from here. There's a picture of one of the flight attendants. Okay. Okay. And um, looking at the picture, I can understand. How there might have been some gender-oriented um, um, desire to impress this flight attendant. Oh, uh, you think this I, is I, an actual I, picture of one of the flight attendants? That's according oh, to says, according to the website. The okay, all right, pilot. All right, but that doesn't argue for that doesn't explain why they would then just disappear to sleep for exactly. It it, it absolutely does not. It's like okay, you know, here you want to fly the airplane and then stay, you know, at her shoulder. You know, is oh, never mind. I'm sure we're we're getting ourselves into trouble here. Um, We we certainly are. Yeah. So, anyways, um, it's a puzzle. I I open that door, so we have to sail into it. Does Uh, does India have some sort of NTSB-like organization that's going to uh, tell us more about this in the in the future? India has a uh, um, directorate general uh, of civil aviation, uh, which seems to be analogous to our uh, FAA here in the United States. Um, and um, uh, according to the director general of the DGCA, quote, following a safety violation, the airline has already suspended the people in question. We are conducting an inquiry into the matter. I see. So we may hear more about this as time goes on. Yes. yes. Well, we probably won't, actually. Yeah, that's what I'm – we'll see. We'll, we'll pay attention, though. We'll see if we can find more on this. David, you uh, callback issue is all about uh, gear-up landings. Is that right? I mean, yeah. They, uh, they, they, they kind of uh, notice that there's a fair number of uh, – gear up landings that if you look deep into things actually don't factor in a lot 
uh, proportionally, at least, to the NTSB statistics and the FAA safety statistics because so many of them are not really considered reportable. That's right. Really? So they don't go into databases, but if you look at the callback reports, and I'm sure if you talk to insurance people, uh, they would paint a, a, a picture of, a, uh, let's say, a more vibrant Gearup landing community than we'd like to have, <laughs> speaking as a member himself. Yes, you know. I, was, I was trying to figure out some way that I could give you crap about that, David, but I decided not to. Um, it's got to be a not, shock. I'm not, I'm not going there. It's got to be a shock. Got to be a shock. Um, there's a video floating around there. It's the next item all, on the all list All I here. can say is it's, it's just a shame that David's gear handle wasn't a, you know, a storm window. <laughs> yes, I got yeah. So there's a video floating around here on the net of a uh, of a twin uh, that is uh, executing an intentional gear up landing. Apparently, they must have some sort of gear gear de- gear. What's the opposite of retraction? Extension. Gear extension right. uh, uh, failure here. And so uh, <laughs> <said> extension. <laughs> show they uh, had enough time to get cameras on site, and so we see this twin. I don't recognize the aircraft, but I'm uh, Cessna four one four. The story oh, says. Um, and yeah, uh, that's a really distinctive nose. Yeah. So we've got a great shot uh, from some high point, perhaps a tower um, of this uh, aircraft coming in on uh, final and then uh, touching down uh, with its gear not extended. And uh, uh, I mean, all very uneventful, as we know that many, you know, intentional gear up landings can be. Um, The part of this that caught my attention is if you look closely, you can see the props stop spinning as they strike the pavement. And and to me, that was the saddest part of the whole video. I'm telling you, just seeing those props, because I just heard the cash register go ka-ching, you know, mm-hmm. every time, both each time that those props stopped. Um, even, because as I understand it, even if the engines had been, you know, off and the, and the props were just windmilling, striking the props is going to do bad things to the engine and require at least a very, very extensive examination. Yeah, well, there's it, this... it may do bad things, in, but it definitely sets in motion a requirement that you tear the whole thing down, yeah. inspect it, look at it, put it back together. Yep. Jeb, you were saying? Yeah, there's a school of thought that um, uh, you should um, use the starter motor to bump the props um, horizontal and, and, and all this kind of nonsense. And um, no, <laughs> I mean, if you've got all kinds of altitude and, and uh, uh, plenty of time and you're, you're good enough to do all this, okay, knock yourself out. Yeah. But A, this is, I think, three-blade props. I think they were, yeah. That's yeah. what I yeah. Um, yeah. B, so, I mean, there's no way you can get them horizontal. Um, right. B, um, you've got other things to worry about rather than trying to save the props or, or save an engine. Yeah. Um, chances, you know, especially, you know, you've got a... Plus, uh, once you shut down the engines, now you've got two emergencies. Well, right. Exactly. You know, now you've got uh, no and, gear and no engines. That's yeah. why I don't think that's a good combination. I, uh, and you've, you've got other problems. You're not really sure what the, what the glide characteristics of the airplane are going to be. Um, you really should be focused on, on you know, making the runway and, and getting it down in one piece and under control. Yeah, yeah. And you start framing around with, with uh, shutting down engines and bumping starter motors and all that kind of thing. You're not flying the airplane. And this happened just up the road in uh, at New, New Century Air Center uh, outside Olathe, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, busy airport. I think it was on the list to get its tower closed. In my opinion, flying breaks all the laws of physics. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. I'm Stephen Hawking, but you knew that. The sum of the squares of the legs of a right triangle is equal to the square of the hypotenuse. The sum of the squares of the legs of the sum of the squares 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 of the sum 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 of the squares of the legs. One of the things we've done off and on over the past seven, think count them, seven years, is is off field landing of the week. It's kind of a little bit of attrition. We haven't done it as much lately as we did for a while there. But Jeb, you're making the case here that this little featurette that you found on the web might have been off field landing of the week before UCAP. They might have. 
it actually what, what is yeah, this? this this is well before ucap yeah uh, you got uh, a bunch of pictures of crashed airplanes it's got a bunch of pictures of crashed airplanes uh in which it is important to note that no one died uh-huh. in these crashes yeah um the other interesting and this is uh this has been all over the internet here since i found it uh um but one of the interesting things here um is a lot of these are dc3s is that a is that a function of the fact that there were a lot of DC-3s? I think it's a function of there having been a lot of DC-3s. Yeah, yeah. So. And, and and the missions that they flew. Right. right. Yeah, they yeah, kind of, it, yeah. Okay. Uh, these are all fairly remote locations. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's... The, the pictures are interesting. They're 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 both both you know visually beautiful and kind of sad. And uh, you know it's, it's a bunch of interesting pictures. Yeah. Um, there's there's it looks like a PBY on a beach. That uh, looks like a um, uh, some kind of a, a Russian or Soviet transport of some type on one of these. Um, can't tell if that's a. Um, C-47, DC-3, or um, uh, C-46, or, or what? The, the tail fin is kind of weird. Um, this That's clearly a DC-3 or what's left of it. And there's one picture here. You basically just see a bunch of vegetation. Supposedly there's some remnant of, a, of an airframe in there. And then there's a, I don't know if this is a Cessna 310 or a 320, uh, something like that. Um, it's kind of hard to tell from what's left of it. And then another DC three, and you're kind of back to the you know the, the beginning of the loop. But the the pictures themselves are visually interesting. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, it's it's also interesting to to kind of wonder how the airplane came to rest there. What ha- what was the chain of events that led to this? And of course, and, thankfully, and, no one was was uh, certainly seriously injured or killed. And, and, and how people got out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this one of just a fuselage sitting in high desert, no vegetation, mountains mm-hmm. in the background, and it, and all it is is the main fuselage. Right. There's no wings, no engine mounts, no nose cone, no tail uh, empennage at all. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's like, where did the rest of that go? Well, they, they cannibalized it. Someone cannibalized it. Yeah. It's easier. It's easier to take the wings and tail and engines off and everything like that than it is to try to fix it and move it out of there. Yeah. So the point of these photos is apparently the photographer wants to create a self-published book of these pictures, which he calls Happy Ending, and uh, he's trying to raise funds through the uh, crowdsourced uh, funding pro- uh, site Indiegogo, and uh, uh, there's a video which I'm not going to play because it'll do all kinds of crazy things to my computer here this morning but uh um there's a video i, I want to watch this video because i bet there's some stunning shots here mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, so if anybody wants to help fund the creation of this uh, uh photo book uh happy end happy ending uh you can go to indiegogo probably search for the the name of the uh, photographers is it dietmar eckel and I, I i don't how do you pronounce that's that first as, name that's, as, that's as good as i'm going to get dietmar yeah. d-i-e-t-m-a-r yeah, Eckel, E-C-K-E-L-L, or Happy Ending probably would help you find it, too, at Indiegogo. Uh, might, be careful. You might find something you don't want to find. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it's some, of the, some of the photos. I don't know, Jeb. That's arguably strike, strike three right there, all right? That's that it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been keeping count quietly here, Jeb, and you, <laughs> you really are grumpy this morning, uh, <laughs> or something this morning. I don't know. Anyways, I'm sorry. So, uh, yeah, if you want to help fund this. I'm sorry, David. I, did I interrupt you? I'm just calling him like I see him. Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm afraid of. Uh, David, quickly. Everybody walked away. Yeah, that is a good thing. That's a good thing here. What's next here? Where are we here? Uh, Flight Designs uh, pushes back the uh, C4 program. C4 is this uh, four-seat certificated uh, manufacturer, factory, factory manufactured uh, aircraft that Flight Designs has been working on for a couple of years now. Very exciting program. They've decided to delay the delivery dates of this, uh, uh, and and that's basically all I know. What more, what more do you know about this? Well, they're basically looking at. Uh, how they certificate this airplane. They want to do it under Part 23 uh, the, and the equivalent in Europe. Uh, 
But right now, there's an industry-wide FAA organized, and I think ASTM uh, Foundation, they're organizing, working on rewriting Part 23. Yeah. Specifically with uh, with an eye toward simplifying the process and reducing the costs of, of of certification and uh, flight designs is kind of looked at that process. I believe they're a participant. Uh, they were a participant in the ASTM process for uh, LSAs. Uh, looked at it and said, you know, if if we delay this and the new rules come into effect, it's possible we could certificate this airplane for significantly less money mm-hmm. and be able to hold the originally announced price without an inflation escalator built in to help offset what are usually escalating certification costs. So that's kind of the the foundation of their decision to delay certification from their original plans is to give this rewrite process a chance to work and, and come into effect so that they could be, you know, uh, an early beneficiary, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard I've heard reference to this Part Twenty Three rewrite a, a number of times recently. Is this a good thing? Is this a good idea? If it works, well, yeah. But I mean, well, I mean, this has been tried before. There have been just in my career uh, three very serious attempts to simplify certification, uh, to reduce the amount of paperwork, the number of boxes that have to be checked off. Uh, like one of them, uh, about 18, 19 years ago, they did things that should have been obvious. Like if the airplane's not going to be pressurized, you don't have to document all the pressurization stuff is not applying. You just have to say it's not going to be a pressurized airplane. So all this pressurization system stuff is off the table, doesn't have to be dealt with at all. Before, you actually had to document that it wasn't going to be pressurized and that none of this stuff applied, which cost money and added to the process. Uh, let, let me stop you just a second. Just to give me some context here, what, what airplanes, what types of airplanes are covered by Part 23 as it stands now? Are we so talking 12,500 pounds in general? Okay, so all of our airplanes to jump mm-hmm. to, you know, all, all of our four seat um, personal aircraft and small business aircraft and things like that. Yeah, right? up through some light jets. Yeah, okay. All right. And uh, Jeb, anything you want to add? Do you think this is a good idea? Should, should we be simplifying this? Well, we absolutely should, and, and we should be carrying it, you know, maybe a step or two further to uh, uh, change some of the uh, uh, certification and, and uh, ongoing airworthiness rules for uh, uh, personal aircraft, those perhaps weighing less than 6,000 pounds or 5,000 pounds, wherever the cutoff might be. Uh, but Part 23, as, as David correctly notes, um, encompasses basically everything from um, Cessna 150s, up to um, and including um, uh, the Citation Mustang, if I'm not uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe you're correct. And everything in between. So there's a wide gulf, uh, uh, a wide range, I should say, of certification requirements. And um, the other thing to keep in mind here too is, over the years, uh, technology has um, uh, perhaps outstripped some of Part 23's. Uh, uh, capabilities. No. Uh, yeah, shocking, isn't it? Um, if you think back to when the Cirrus was being, the, the SR-20 and SR-22 were being certificated, or certified, certificated, um, there had to be special conditions written in um, because the uh, SR-20 and 22 aren't certified for, aren't tested for spin recovery. Instead, they have a parachute. Okay? And there's, you know, different... Um, uh, requirements imposed for uh, composite airframes versus uh, metal or wood airframes. So there's all kinds of things that technology has um, um, come along, uh, all kinds of technologies that have come along uh, to change uh, some of the or, or make obsolete or make uh, uh, too cumbersome the requirements in Part 23. And mm-hmm. uh, so to answer your basic question, yeah, it's a good thing from that standpoint. But any time uh, any, any uh, um, body of regulation like this is opened up for revision, uh, mayhem can ensue. Yeah, and that was yeah. my final question. What, yeah. what is your confidence level that this will be done successfully? 
<laughs> Silence. <laughs> well, I, I'm trying to figure out how to state this. Uh, they had a fairly successful outcome, I think you could safe to say, with the ASTM process for the creating the happy consensus ending? standards for the <laughs> LSAs. Yeah, I, got, I heard you, Jeb. I'm writing it down as a, I'm writing it down as a possible title right now. Okay, sorry, David. Go ahead. Well, they, they've they've got an example that worked fairly well and that has uh, uh, held up fairly well so far uh, in creating the consensus standards for uh, under the ASTM process, the American Society of Testing Materials. Uh, so, if they can bring to that table on part 23 the same kind of consensus uh, building that got everybody on board pretty much for the different elements of the LSA standards, uh, my confidence level would be relatively high. Uh, if this is going to wind up being the, the FAA takes all the work of this committee and says, thanks, everybody, uh, we'll be working on it, we'll get back to you with what we want to do, then my confidence level deteriorates somewhat. Yeah. Jeb, quickly, uh, what's your what's your thoughts? Is this going to happen? Is this going to work? It'll happen. Uh, how well it'll work, uh, the jury's out. Okay. Um, what I guess my concern longer term is going to be there's you know a growing um, concern, question, movement, whatever. Um, to um, figure out a way to exempt uh, some airplanes, and especially those which are owner-flown and perhaps are, are older, uh, long ago having been certified, and, and we, we know their history, we know the problems with them, etc. Uh, there's a you know a growing, however small it may be right now, but a growing concern that you know some of these aircraft should just really be exempted from a lot of the okay. uh, the regulations. And um, the extent to which, if any, uh, that'll be recognized uh, in the Part 23 rewrite is, is uh, of, of um, strong interest here. We'll probably talk more about this in the future, I bet, as time goes on. The uh, president uh, nominated a new Secretary of Transportation this past week. Uh, do we know anything about Anthony Fox? Not really. He's the apparently current mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, which not coincidentally is the location the um, Democrats used for their um, um, convention um, last year uh, in advance of the election. Uh, so he's you know got some some juice in that arena. Uh, he's been very strong in um, local infrastructure uh, development there in Charlotte. Some of that to include uh, the Charlotte International Airport, Charlotte Douglas International Airport. Um, he is not an avi by any stretch of the imagination. He is not an aviation type, but he is, as I say, a, a, a transportation system uh, infrastructure uh, type of guy. Um, how all that will bode um, for the FAA is anybody's guess. Um, my thinking is it probably won't make much difference. Um, yeah, the SecDot has l limited. Influ I mean, he has lots of influence, but it, it, the reality is that it's the sec it's the administrator who's the guy, right? Well, yes and no. Um, I think we, we've seen with Ray LaHood, uh, LaHood had you know some aviation policy background, but he was mainly a a transportation and infrastructure type of guy, also. Right, Ray LaHood, uh, the previous Secretary of Transportation, Ray, Ray current, 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 excuse me, cur current, current sec yeah. dot, uh, who who will resign once uh, um, Fox or somebody else uh, is confirmed to mm -hmm. replace him. Yeah. Well, I should say we'll, we'll leave. He's already technically resigned. Um, so and on a macro sense, well, let, me, let me rephrase. On a micro sense, the day-to-day -day operation of the FAA, unless something goes extremely tilt, um, SecDot doesn't get involved. On larger policy issues like tower closures, like uh, sequestration, the SecDot does get involved, and that will trickle down through the FAA and, and down to um, uh, you and I. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. I, it, it's six of one, half a dozen of another. Um, I, uh, he's only going to be there for three years anyway. So mm -hmm. there you go. Now, at the risk of getting into a real, uh, a real uh, mud hole, morass, what I don't know, um, it, uh, 
What's the likelihood that uh, Fox can be confirmed? No clue. Um, don't know uh, anything about it, his background. Uh, I'm sure he's being vetted and or has been vetted. Um, the question you're asking, I think, has more to do with uh, um, congressional thrust and drag, shall we say, <laughs> than, than anything. Uh, and I don't have that answer. I, I have no clue whatsoever uh, what this Congress is going to do. God himself doesn't even know what this Congress is going to do. You know, qualifications, uh, he's got enough. Uh, yeah. He's got as much as many of the other DOT secretaries and more than a couple of them, uh, which is not setting a very high bar in and of itself. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's a political job uh, and with a lot of policy element that you review and take the recommendations of staff to the president and see how they compote with – the president's own policies and goals and all that stuff. Uh, guys at DOT, they don't really affect transportation policy all that much directly, except as it's reflected by whatever their bosses want to do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, whether you can get confirmed uh, in this political environment, anybody's guess. And it won't be over his qualifications. It'll be over something else that can you know, support a couple of pillars of opposition. Yeah. Yeah, and then they'll just take turns. Yep. Yeah, it, it'll be, or, you know, someone's going to put a hold on his nom. Someone in the Senate will put a hold on his nomination um, until and unless um, uh, some control tower in, in his state or his state is, uh, con- you know, uh, agreed that it will not be closed or something like that. It's going to be some nonsense like that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that, that would endanger um, uh, him unless there's some smoking gun that is uncovered later down the road. And, and in that case, you'll have to withdraw his nomination to begin with. Yeah. So, Okay. Speaking of nonsense, um, I don't know, that's, that's a poor segue, but um, David, you seem to be a little bit uh, worked up about the fact that there's apparently a bug or something in the in the TFR NOTAM process that's causing the altitude. Uh, uh, well, uh, yeah, what is up with that? What's going on this here, David? Saying. This was passed on to me by some FAA retirees who live in the Washington area, who are still active in aviation, uh, who fly considerably up and down the eastern seaboard, and they know that TFRs, no TAMs for TFRs, are traditionally, and in, in, in by common sense and policy, uh, stated in uh, uh, the reference terms, mileages from VORs and landmarks and all that, and altitude in mean sea level, mm-hmm. because mean sea level is meaningful, right? Universally. And what's what seems to be happening right now? Well, it seemed like that the folks in the D.C. office that turn these things out at uh, the FAA uh, don't know enough about aviation to know that it's MSL and not AGL in a NOTAM for a TFR or for pretty much anything else. Uh, so so what matter. you're saying is that the, the these TFRs are being published with the tops being designated in AGL instead of AGL, MSL? above ground level altitude, right. which can vary significantly yeah, AG- uh, over, this, over the square mileage of right. a TFR. So it's AGL rel- at where? At the center, I would guess? I don't know. That's well, you know. Now that's say. what that's part that's of the problem. Gets you a trip to the to the woodshed. Yeah. So basically, you ought to like add, you know, whatever the uh, the the average ground, you know, elevation is. No. What you ought to do is have the people know what the frack they're supposed to be doing and state it properly. Uh, it means sea level. Right now, I'm just trying to avoid the, uh, you know, here's a phone number, call the tower kind of communication. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, I think the communication that needs to be conducted here is from the users to the headquarters saying, get your act together and point out to these people who don't apparently know anything about flying that they're doing this incorrectly. Okay. How do we do that? You call your reps? Huh. Call the FISDO? What do you do? Uh, who should we express our concern to? Jim Inhofe. Yeah, Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm being only slightly facetious. Really, in his role as chairman and, of the what? As him, well, his role as um, 
perpetual gadfly on on all things aviation in the U.S. Oh. Senate. All right, as well, as well as his role as author of the um, pilots', pilots Bill of Rights, yeah. pilots' Bill of Rights, which had a provision in it um, requiring the FAA to substantially uh, upgrade its NOTAM service. Yep. Okay. I'll, no, I'll, I, I, here's I stand my corrected. Serious, yes. Okay. Here's my serious suggestion on where to start with this. If you belong to AOPA, call AOPA. Whiskey and tell them Fox that truck. you yeah. saw this link online and say, why are they doing that in AGL? Are you guys looking into it? Uh, last week, they weren't. I believe as of Friday, they may be. Uh, if you belong to EAA, let them know. Let their people in D.C. do the same thing. NATA, NBAA, HAI, I don't care what alphabet group you belong to. If you belong to all of them, call all of them and say, why aren't you guys on top of this? Mm-hmm. Give them something to do that's, you know, actually aviation related. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Did I say that out loud? And a you respectful do. note to Senator Inhofe. Maybe that might be a, a useful way of approaching it as well. But uh, anyways. Um, the link will be in the show notes of this NOTAM so that you've got an example when you call and you can say, gee, look at this. They did this in AGL. How do I know what the ele- elevation is from one? Oh, look, the terrain varies. What do I use? Yeah, okay. We got it. We got it. Um, last uh, uh, federal note here is uh, I saw an item recently that said that the FAA was about to ease the process for some medical exemptions for getting a third-class medical. Do and, and that's basically everything I know about this. Are either one of you tracking this? What, what's the story? Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen yeah, this reference I, as well? I, I, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I, I, I'm not that familiar with it. Go, go ahead without me. Well, as I understand it, and maybe I should refresh my memory as well, but uh, they're basically saying that some of the medical conditions and medications used and things like that that previously would automatically trigger a special uh, the requirement for a special issuance are now going to be, uh, I don't know what the right word is, simplified or reduced or, you know, such that the local um, um, uh, 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 you know, Your local flights a- doesn't have to call exactly. Can say. can unilaterally issue you a medical um, in these cases, and um, sounds like a good thing. It's not quite what we were looking for in well, terms of getting rid of the third rid of the third class medical for some types of simple flying. But right, uh, right. Um, sounds like a step step in a good direction, if you ask me. Yeah, I, I'm I'm told by someone who um, is in a position to know. That um, while you know there are various statements about uh, um, various statements of pessimism, shall we say, um, that the process is still alive and the concept is still still alive. Um, where that takes us and when, you know, it's kind of like the Part Twenty Three rewrite. You know, right. eventually we'll get to it. Oh, so this hasn't changed yet? No, I, I don't know. I mean, it's still alive, uh, and I don't know what the genesis is for. Um, the, this recent spate of, of pessimism, I simply don't know. The flip side of which is I was told separately by you know a very interested third party that this is uh, uh, still alive. Um, that and 50 cents gets you a cup of coffee. I, I guess I just want to be clear on what you mean. What is still alive? The restrictions or the chance that they will ease the restrictions? The um, chance that they would ease the restrictions. Okay. Okay, I, yeah, all I'm fashion. simply based on the AvWeb story that I'm looking at. All right, it, it's written writing it in kind of the present tense. It says the FAA has expanded the list of medical conditions that can be evaluated by an AME instead of requiring a special interest uh, issuance. Mm-hmm. Now that's just the AvWeb story, and and uh, you know, but uh, well, there's t- there's two things going on here. Um, one is uh, eliminating or reducing requirements uh, associated with special issuance certificates. Okay, you've got a heart bypass. You got to jump through a bunch of hoops to get your ticket back to get your medical back. That's that's one thing that's going on. The other thing that's going on is why do we need a third class medical for private pilots flying light aircraft to begin with? Right. That, okay. that, but that's a bigger and that's that's a different issue that's a bigger issue now the, the the quote here at the end of this article says quote high level FAA staffers told us the exemption was not a priority for the agency this is quoting um, 
IOPA president credit. Right, but that, I, that, that's referring that's, to the full-blown not requiring that's, a third-class medical. That's referring to uh, whether or not we need a, a medical to begin with, right. as opposed to the special issuance issues. Um, so there's, as I say, there's two or three things going on here. All of them are going on in this story, and I would suggest to you that all of them are undecided. Okay. We'll have to uh, ask around here. Je- Jeb, uh, David, go ahead. Well, the, the FAA uh, medical examiner's office in Oak City, uh, they've been under increasing load and shorter staffed. Uh, so anything that they can do to put decisions out in the field is supposedly going to help them handle the workload that they'll continue to have. Uh, and some of these have become so commonplace and so routinely turned into special issuances that the FAA started to see a track record there that made them confident that they could just hand this back to the in the field level medical examiners and senior medical examiners and not have to have them calling Oak City for this every time. Uh, so that's one, and, and Jeb's right about that. The rest of this stuff, he's, he's, Jeb's right on the money. It's undecided. Okay. All right. Uh, and that puzzles me because they say the petition has been, has, is stalled. Uh, support is lagging at the FAA. Uh, but more than 16,000 pilots and, and organizations filed comments with the FAA, <laughs> predominantly in support of the proposal. So I'm not sure. I think we're probably waiting on legal to get a uh, to get rid of some heartburn over the idea of turning people loose without a medical after years of insisting that the medical was necessary for safety. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. That, that's a very good way to put it. Um, um, let's not quite move on yet. Keep in mind the FAA's mentality is. Um, um, we have these rules in place, and we've staked our reputation on this, and we put a lot of political capital on the line. Um, we can't just, you know, wave a wand and do away with these requirements um, because we want to. We have to come up with a good reason to justify right. this before Congress or, uh, you know, um, the, the next reporter that comes along and sticks a microphone in our face. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of head scratching going on. I, I would guess also there's probably a lot of people at the FAA who would like to see this happen. Um, I, I, there's I think probably they, a lot of other right. people. There's probably a lot of other people at the FAA who who um, are just as concerned about covering their butts. So who knows? Okay. We here at the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. Thank you. So a couple episodes ago, we talked, actually more than a couple, this is pre-Sun and Funds, it seems like, an, it seems like a year ago, but uh, we talked about the story of the two taxiing air, airliners that collided, uh, and I guess a, a wingtip hit a tail, an empennage, or something like that. And uh, the only thing I want to return to on this story is that at the time, we were trying to come up with a clever word, uh, not a fender bender, but uh, you, know, what, 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 how, you know, what would you call these kinds of incidents. And listener Timothy E., a, a good pal of ours uh, from down in your area, uh, Jeb, down in Florida, yeah, yeah. Uh, although he travels more than me even, all right? But that's a whole other story. Um, uh, uh, Tim uh, ca- chimed in uh, back then. He said, we should call these wingdings, which I just think that's perfect. It's all right? perfect. You know, and it's happening all the time. Didn't it happen just the other day? There was another uh, uh, taxiing collision uh, just like a couple days ago, I saw. It, yeah, it, I saw something it, about that. There, there, there is significant use of the term wing ding by uh, uh, some pilot organizations for social events that they've been known to stage yes, from time to time. I, I so, wouldn't know anything uh, about you know, there, there's, there's the good wing ding and the wing ding that causes you to call the insurance company. Yeah, right. So there you go. So anyways, uh, thanks to Timothy, uh, Tim, Timothy E. Well, his T's Tim, but uh, his, his username is, is Timothy. Uh, Tim, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, 
One little bit of, uh, of administrivia here, uh, uh, podcast administration. Um, so we, for years now, have had an email address podcasted on controlledairspace.com, which we uh, encourage people to send email to. Um, and, and, and the tracking of that email address kind of fell by the way. This is all ba- my bad. This is all on me. Um, the tracking of that email address kind of kind of fell fell uh, uh, by the wayside for a, a long period of time, six six months or more. And uh, my apologies on that. I recently went through and started to catch up on on all the old emails that had piled up in that email address, and I was trying to catch up on them. But it's just kind of impossible for me to catch up on all of them. So I am somewhat. I'm basically declaring email bankruptcy on that uh, email address. <laughs> I'm, what I'm what I'm saying now is that uh, um, if anybody sent email to that address prior to April 1st of this year, uh, and and you haven't gotten a response and you would like a response, please resend whatever it was you sent to us. Um, I, I apologize for this, but it's probably the best way for for us to get caught up. So uh, um, anything after after April 1st, I'll, I'll I'll try and take responsibility for, and we'll 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 stay caught up now. But if you sent us something prior to April 1st and you've just been kind of wondering, gee whiz, did they get it? You know, how rude could they possibly be? Um, yeah, please resend that. We do want to hear from you. I'm going to try and keep up with these now. And uh, um, that's email bankruptcy. Um, I didn't make up that term. Others, I, it's a thing these days. So many people get so much email and, and fall behind. I've heard a lot of people talk about declaring email bankruptcy. They just can't get caught up. And mm-hmm. so they basically have to take an incomplete. And uh, and that's what we're doing here. April 1st, please. Thank you. I apologize, but uh, it was just too much. So. What do we got here? Um, it says, Dave, you posted this. A little cooperation. Oh, this is a hang glider thing. Is this related to that hang glider story we talked about a while ago about the... Uh... No. No. What is this? Well, this is kind of the antithesis of the problems that they're having out in Utah uh, at the site at the south of uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, this is a, uh, a place called Hammer Flat in Idaho. Uh that had been used for years, uh, with apparently without much uh, uh, impact, uh, by the local hang glider pilots and paraglider pilots. And a couple of years ago, the property changed hands. Uh, it was uh, sold to a uh, first the city of Boise, then the Idaho Department of Fish and Game uh, bought it. And suddenly the site was closed. The access gates were padlocked. Uh, after some good work between the hang gliding community and the owners, the, the state, uh, the site opened again uh, just a few days ago on May 1. Uh, some people call it Hammer Flats. Other call it Crow Hill. Uh, but apparently, and I looked at some photographs of it, it looks like a, just a killer good flight uh, launch site with a big plateau and a lot of ridge face in front of it uh, where you can go and hang out and ridge lift until the thermals take you high enough to go somewhere if you want. So, you know, it, 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 here's an example of how these things can work out to everybody's satisfaction. Uh, the wildlife and the environment of the property is still being protected and it's still restricted use. But the hang gliding community that used it without, you know, doing damage to the uh, premises it is allowed back in to soar. And, you know, a hang glider airborne uh, it, it creates no pollution, leaves no footprint, and makes no noise. So it should be fairly compatible. Cool. Good to hear. Good to hear. Dr. Brent Blue. Dr. Dr. Blue Brent is uh, uh, is quite a character uh, in the aviation community. Um, I first met him um, back in the earliest days of the Around the Field column, and uh, interviewed him about a couple of different things that he was notorious for um, out at uh, out at, at Oshkosh. Um, he's also a, a legendary uh, party host uh, there at AirVenture. And uh, and uh, in addition to these kind of fun and, and, and somewhat frivolous things, has done some serious work in the aviation world, uh, particularly medically related. And then more recently in um, trying to uh, trying to solve some of the problems with through the fence access. He's now uh, on to another subject here. Uh, David, what's what's Br- Dr. Blue up to now? 
Well, it's not what he's up to. It's uh, what seems to be the new focus of the airport's folks at FAA, at least the ones working out of the FISDO uh, near Brent's neighborhood. Uh, But the inspectors are going after uh, hangar renters and hangar owners uh, for violating FAA rules on the proper use of their hangar. If they have a motorcycle parked in there, if they put their golf clubs in the corner, you know, if they're building an airplane because it's not supposed to be used for maintenance, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah. Th- those- it, it's another overtop re- uh, action by these folks but from all appearances. And, and Brent's never been one to get hyperbolic over little things. Yeah. Th- just just those who are, who are watching the video version of this podcast can see that I am shaking my head and rolling my eyes here. This is just like the FAA telling us what we can keep in our hangars is just anyways. Yeah. So uh, – is there any hope, though? This is the kind of foolishness that uh, that these security types have been up to for some time now. Well, of course, there's hope. Uh, this is not a we security. Can always, we could always hope that the uh, alphabet groups that represent folks like us uh, would get interested in this and put the same kind of uh, pressure uh, and leverage behind that interest that they did with uh, supporting Brent's. Uh, efforts to organize opposition to the FAA wanting to close down residential through the fence operations at public airports. This is the same part of the FAA. Yeah, it's so, doing this. So you kind of you kind of have to wonder if it's like, wow, after prohibition ended, what do we do with all those federal agents? Let's create a new way that they can people can break the law so we can give them something to do. <laughs> yeah, this is not a security thing. No, it's not. Okay. I don't know what is behind this, but it yeah. has nothing to do with security. I don't know. Is it? I, I, I guess you're right. It's probably Golf not. clubs? Well, yeah. A you know what? Press? So, you know, um, I used to be active at uh, an airport in the San Jose, California area called Reed Hillview. Um, it was one of, for a time, it's kind of relatively secure now, as I understand it, but for a time, it was one of the airports that was seriously at risk because the community wanted it to go away, wanted it to be shut down. And one of the ways that the community uh, uh, tried to tried to uh, attack the, uh, the, the, uh, the, com- the airport community was to create all these arbitrary rules about the way that you could use your hangar and the way that you could use the taxiways. And, uh, and it was all about, you know, I mean, we many of us who were trying to defend the airport believed that it was all about making it just so unpleasant to use the airport that, mm-hmm. that people would wander away. Um, and Oh, the Santa Monica approach. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You know, so uh, this has got a little bit of that flavor to it. I don't know if that's what's going on here. You know, it's like, uh, no, this is. I think this is nitpicking by a bunch of nitwits. Yeah. See, this is yeah. like. So here, hypothetical situation. All right, a bunch of bad guys. All right, get together and they're trying to figure out how to make airports more, you know, easier targets for their nefarious activities. And they'll say, well, wouldn't it be great if we could figure out a way to make there be less people at the airport? All right, make it be quieter so there's fewer people around to notice that we're strangers and don't belong here. How could we do this? Hmm. Well, we could make it so that nobody could be on the airport grounds overnight, and we could make it so that there were less interesting things for people to be doing in their hangars. All right, let's just kind of generally make the airport as minimalist uh, an, an activity as we possibly can, so that we can. I see you get my point here. I, um, you know, I've, you know, it's like all of these things are absolutely the opposite of what, in my view, would be good security. All right, you want to make an airport more secure, have more people there who are well, like, invested like, like the man said this is nothing to do with security yeah. what, what you keep in the hangar and what the hangar contains when the doors are closed uh wow if it fits and it's yours yeah. it's your business but uh, i would argue that even if the if the intent of this isn't security security related the effect is security related because by having less and less activity taking place at the airport you make the airport less secure 
That's well, what they I would think. have been stunned at some of the stuff that we used to do when we kept our airplane at uh, a, a nearby public use, uh, publicly owned airport. We were known to actually have lawn chairs sitting there, and we know what a security <laughs> risk those are. And then one of our guys had a grill, and we kept the charcoal up in the business hangar with other flammables because we weren't allowed to store open gas or lighter and stuff, flammables in the hangar. Wow, that one actually makes some sense on a basic level. So we'd take the golf cart up to the maintenance storage facility where the flammables were stored behind lock and key. We'd get our charcoal and our lighter fluid and being careful to roll the grill outside so that we didn't run the risk of exploding the airplane or something. We would cook food and consume it. Right there in the hangar. Yeah, I know. Really, we got to we got to we got to crack down on these rogue pancake breakfasts, man. I'm telling you, bad uh, for airports. Well, Brent, Brent, you got you got my attention, and and I can't I can't stop thinking of new ways to ridicule these boneheads. Yeah. Now, has Brent suggested some action that we can take to? Uh, yeah, to repeat what we were saying a while ago about the uh, the uh, people that don't know that no TAMs on TFR should be an MSL, not AGL. Contact your contact your alphabet group mm-hmm. and say, you know, I was just hesitating before I wrote my renewal check. <laughs> this, That's right. This is on my mind. Yeah, you know, because what's the point of subscribing to the magazine if I can't keep the magazines in my hangar? So. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Anyways. Yeah, and, and the other thing to keep in mind here is um, I'm not aware of any, any um, uh, huge problems with, you know, fires or, or terrorist activity or, or um, uh, traffic jams in, in front of hangars throughout the country. Um, by putting a pair of golf clubs or a drill press or welding equipment in your hangar, maybe even a motorcycle, God forbid, uh, in your hangar, you are not risking, um, you know, um, destruction of the entire row of hangars. But I'll, I'll I'll be in touch with Brent to to find out some more about this. See if he's got some documentation. That would be ac- excellent. Ask yeah. him if he'd like to come on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, shout outs. I've only got I've only got one here. Um, just a quick shout out to a really interesting story that our pal uh, Scott Spangler um, posted on the Jetwine uh, website. Um, uh, Monday morning surprise at a flight. He just told this really nice story about uh, he wandered by. It's not, apparently he was visiting. I think this is down in Texas and. Uh, he was visiting an area, and he just wandered over to the airport, thinking that it would be quiet this particular weekday morning, and uh, and in, instead he found a, a vibrant uh, flight and and flight training o- operation going on. And he, he tells an interesting story about this, and I think it's I think it's uh, it's an interesting story, and it's great to call attention to these FBOs that are doing good things and and uh, you know keeping you know things moving forward. So uh, check it out at uh, Jetwine. Let me see if I can get you an exact link here. Um, it's uh, jetwine.com, J-E-T-W-H-I-N-E.com. And if you search for uh, Monday Morning Surprise, you'll probably find it. And we'll obviously try and put a link, or we'll, Jeff will put a link in the show notes. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yay, Scott. Scott Scott writes regularly for Jetwine and uh, has lots of good stuff there. Um, and uh, you should keep an eye on that uh, that blog if you don't already. You guys got any shout-outs? Yeah, we're, real quick. Mm-hmm. And this goes into the... Um, um, I don't know category. Um, everyone's familiar with, or I should, a lot of people anyway, are familiar with uh, uh, those who um, uh, use a, a wingsuit um, to um, kind of fall under control um, from great heights or out of an airplane or a helicopter or something like this, and um, basically doing a uh, um, kind of thing where they're uh, using the wingsuit to provide some lift and control, but basically falling at a very high high rate of speed. Well, Alexander Poli, um, who um, is a Norwegian Italian, um, um, who do, has done a lot of these uh, um, bat suit flights, for lack of a better word, um, recently released some video of him doing one of these flights and flying through a hole, a tunnel, basically. Um, in the side of a mountain. Really? Yeah. 
the um, opening is measured in feet. Um, the, the opening through which he flew on the side of this, this yeah. mountain is all, it's and, all rock. And, and, it's measured in feet. Yeah, and, and apparently his IQ in single digits. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you, well look at the, if you look at some of this video, there's literally a hole in the wall. And he's flying at 100, he's falling at 155 miles an hour, according to this article, um, to, to in, in, while he's in flight with this bat suit on, and flew through this. I don't even know how he found it, much less could aim himself at this. I, I, I would just be a, a, a wet spot on the wall. Uh, if I was trying to aim for this, so well, it, it impressed the hell out of me that they ran multiple test flights where he had to hit a target that was slightly smaller. He had to go between two uprights that were slightly narrower than the hole in the rock face that he was going to fly through, and until he hit that dead center a couple of times, he didn't attempt the real thing. But I still couldn't get over the fact that. Just a, 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 a tiny degree of variation, one side to the other, or a little bit higher or low. And splat is right. not the word. Right. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, um, shout out whatever. But I just, <laughs> just, this is just, to me, fairly, fairly remarkable um, that um, uh, he, he was able to, quote, unquote, hit his target. Uh, using using this kind of a uh, um, contraption to to do so, I, the whole thing is just mind boggling to mm. me. David, any shout outs? A quick one to the NTSB for putting into print something that we suspected had been a, a, a contributory factor to accidents in the past, uh, and that was the number six item in their uh, report on a. Uh, medical helicopter crash in Mosby, Missouri, uh, August of 2011. And in their findings, they found that the pilot was texting while flying while the helicopter was being prepared for return to service during a telephone call to a communications specialist. Uh, and his self-induced distractions with his personal telephone device in the cockpit on an emergency medical services flight contributed him to crashing and killing mm -hmm. people. Yeah. 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 So uh, thank you for putting that into a real accident report and having it come to light that, yeah, people are dumb enough to do it in aircraft too. Why am I not surprised? So don't try that at home. Yeah. I've got three possible titles here. Um, we can call this episode Hung Down, Brung Down, which I don't think anybody's going to understand. <laughs> I don't think anybody, but I love it a lot. Uh, we might potentially call this episode Happy Ending, but probably not, um, because, never mind. And uh, Or we could call it Congressional Thrust and Drag, which is a phrase I just love a lot. I don't know. So, uh, I don't know. We'll figure it I, out. I, I like the last one. You like, yeah. I so think, Yeah, I think Jeb hit it on the money. We'll, I would... I, I, in 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 fairness and in 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 um, full disclosure, the phrase "congressional thrust and drag" um, was the title of a series of columns that appeared in AOPA Pilot Magazine back in the day. Ah, okay. From AOPA's chief lobbyist at the time, Larry Graves. Um, oh, Larry well, since yeah, Larry since passed on, but he and I were, used to work fairly closely on a variety of things. And he was, uh, for a long, long time, AOPA's chief lobbyist on Capitol Hill. Uh, and that's where that phrase kind of comes from. But feel free to use it. It's just a matter of, I, 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 in the interest of full disclosure, I can't take credit for that. Credit where credit is due. That sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you, boys. It's always a blast. Uh, Dave Higdon, aviation photographer, aviation journalist, U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what you been working on? Anything fun? Uh, yeah, working on a pilot report from a little uh, uh, flying I got to do at Sun and Fun uh, and it just got turned in on uh, Friday afternoon and uh, let's see, what's in print this month? Uh, I don't remember sorry <laughs> Okay. Uh, it was so done so long ago yeah. uh, is that it? 
Where are, and, and so where can people find you on the internet and on the Twitter? Uh, let's see. Twitter is real Higdon. Uh, internet, avbuyer.com, aea.net, uh, aviationsafetymagazine.com, where I do have a piece coming out shortly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's already on the street. Oh, there's, yeah, there you go. There we go. Okay, great. That yeah. covers it for me, baby. Okay. And, uh, and also thank you, Jeb Burnside, uh, freelance aviation writer, editor, editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. We're keeping it terse this morning. Uh, Jeb, what have you been working on? Anything fun? A little bit of everything. I uh, just finished a couple of pieces for the uh, Aircraft Electronics Association uh, covering their uh, annual uh, convention. Uh, you can read about all that in the June issue of Avionics News. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're sitting down to... Uh, um, assemble the um, June issue of uh, Aviation Safety Magazine. Um, the May issue is on the street that uh, has uh, Higdon's latest uh, article in it. Um, working on a, a variety of other little projects that um, we may or may not ever be able to talk about. Uh, trying to stay busy and um, uh, trying not to spend it all in one place. Cool. And I'm Jack Hodgson, private pilot, freelance writer, new media producer, and uh, uh, I've you know uh, please check out my uh, around the field uh, Kindle eBooks uh, at over at Amazon.com. Uh, go to uh, uh, one of my websites; you'll probably find a link to it at JackHodgson.com and also at AroundTheField.net. And uh, um, and the eBooks are at Amazon.com/author/ Jack Hodgson. And on Twitter, I am Jack Hodgson. Jeb, did you tell us where you? Oh, I didn't even ask you, Jeb. I'm sorry. What? Where what? can we find you on? the internet, Jim. You didn't ask me. I'm and, sorry. And, uh, um, you can find me at uh, um, uh, You can find me on the Twitter machine at Burnside J. Uh, you can find me on uh, Facebook, uh, probably uh, coming to a, uh, a, a mugshot website near you. So, Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Hey, big thanks to uh, everybody who helps us out here. Jeff Ward uh, for all his help with the show notes and in the forums. By the way, the forums were down for a couple of days due to a weird uh, a database uh, uh, weirdness, um, but they are back online now. So if you uh, have been staying away from the forums because they were gone for a couple of days, they're back. And uh, so check in with us there. And thanks to Jeff for his help with the forums. Uh, please, uh, let's see now. Where are we here? Uh, check out the, uh, the entire uh, all right, I'm going to do this right this time. And don't forget to check out the entire uh, UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and uh, many of your fellow listeners at the uh, aforementioned Uncontrolled Airspace Forums. You can see who's doing what on the new ratings webpage of fame and much, much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, were you going to say something? Go fly. Go fly, go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. That's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFN. TTFN.